Welcome to China Manufacturing Decoded from Sophist, the podcast where we take you through the major news and topics facing importers and manufacturers in China and Asia today. Hi, welcome along to the podcast again. Adrian from the Sophie's team here, and I'm joined by a, a repeat guest, someone that's been on before, uh, a very experienced product designer, Andy Bartlett. Andy, thanks for coming on again. Well, thank you for the fanfare. I, I was uh, hoping for a round of applause. <laughs> Maybe I can edit one in, <laughs> but. Uh... <laughs> I mentioned you've been on before, and to everybody listening, I mean, I'll add some of the links to Andy's former appearances on the podcast. But it's really great to get somebody with your experience on because we're trying to, you know, enrich the way that、uh, people are getting advice through this podcast. And we're going to be talking about the best practices and tools used when doing the industrial design of hardware products. Yeah, sure. So, just before we get started, for anybody that、uh, hasn't heard you on the pod before, could you just give a very quick、uh, self intro, please? Yeah, sure. I'm、um, approaching fifty, and、uh, worked all my life in in product development. So, product is a passion of mine. Product design is a passion of mine, and industrial design is a passion of mine. So,、um, I've worked in various industries, including the toy industry, consumer electronics, mobile phones. Gosh, the list goes on and on.、Um, and、uh, I've picked up a few tips and tricks along the way. It'd be hard not to have done. And I'm always happy to share,、uh, share, share, share my thoughts and yeah, and learn myself in, in the process. So、uh, that's me. 25 years or so designing products, and、uh, currently self-employed, doing that for a whole variety of different industries in the US, Australia, and、uh, and in Europe. Mm, great. Well, that's a heck of a CV. So, really happy to have you on again, Andy. You're the expert here. So, to get started, tell me more about industrial design, please. In terms of industrial design, I think probably jumping in and and, and thinking about what the bare bones of of what industrial design is and、um, what it means and how we can as designers. Uh, influence, shape, and and、uh, and drive it forwards. It's an interesting topic because、um, the process is subtly different across、um, sectors and uh, across uh, product owners.、Uh, mm-hmm. And industrial design invokes、um, a lot of passion and a lot of、uh, subjective opinion. And so, as an industrial designer, part of our job is to, as I say, to drive that forward, to、uh, to lead creatively, but also to respond to our clients and to their needs and our customers. So it's it's、um, it's it's a role where there are often there are no rights and wrongs, and so an interesting space that、um, can evoke passions often, particularly around colour. Um, and um, and so it's often very challenging, I would say. And、um, often the thing、uh, that many people get hung up on and fixated on, if, particularly the consumer, because if you're in a marketplace where,、uh, in a crowded marketplace or a mature marketplace for for technology, industrial design can be, you know, hugely important.、Mm. Um, not only to differentiate you in the marketplace. But also to attract the attention of your、um, potential consumers. So,、um, 
yeah, that's that's kind of in a nutshell what it is, uh, according to me, and according to how I've um, done it over the years. Sure, and you mentioned sort of how subjective these things can be. Yeah, it just adds to the complexity of the whole pre-production process that that we're going through when we've got a new product, and and of course, product design is is probably at an earlier stage of that in general, but it, it's not something to be taken lightly. And it's, it's definitely, you know, I think Renault said before a number of times on the podcast and in written content, a lot of startups or, or small medium enterprises, entrepreneurs, people like that, they really underestimate all of the work required to even get to the point when you're ready to start production. And that very much includes the industrial design side of things, doesn't it? Absolutely. So um, you, you can engage in industrial design at all different points in the development process, um, which, which, again, is another interesting thing, because, you know, on season two, three and four, you can refresh with new colours or new, new decoration or something like that. Mm. So it, it's one that it's one that you can jump in on at all different stages. Uh, typically, um, you know, typically, I suppose, from a designer's perspective, the best place to jump in is at the beginning. So it's a, when, when you're looking at concept. Um, and at that stage, you can really shape the product, <laughs> no pun intended. You, you can mm. really influence um, direction. So, um, and, and also um, bring creative uh, and a, a creative approach and challenge um, sort of preconceived ideas about what the solution to the problem you're trying to fix actually is. The other thing, the other thing that's quite interesting as an industrial designer, one um, hat to wear when when designing, is not to be too uh, or to know when to become detailed and uh, involved in detail and um, how things may go together to achieve the look that you want, but also to know when not to be too concerned and to, if you like, create a vision um, that you have some ideas about how you can achieve it, but maybe not all the answers just yet. And that's an interesting balance to strike, actually, not to push too hard so that um, the product isn't realisable and, in, and you can't create the uh, product experience that you're shooting for, but also not to be too constrained. And different customers and different products will have different requirements for that. Some will want to be very um, out there and... Um, esoteric uh, others will want to be quite narrow and channeled and so that you, you can see there there's different hats to wear in the creative process um mm. and, and and can jump in right at the beginning or literally right at the end you know okay makes sense yeah uh, that's good so uh, as i mentioned at the top of this we're looking at uh, tools now i'm assuming when we're talking about tools we are going to be talking about hardware software things like this so to start what's your first uh, what's your first item ah well um you know probably um the, the pencil and paper is the best place to start where you can be super quick um super um agile you can explore ideas and and shut ideas down quickly Mm. Uh, and communicate with the customer, whoever the customer is. It might be, you know, your boss. It might be um, your client. It might be your consumer. 
Uh, and um, so, so using two using two D, uh, which eventually includes um, drawing an illustrator or something similar, drawing the lines rather than in three D. Um, and you can be it's a very powerful tool actually. And um, oftentimes, uh, product design people with product design backgrounds go to three D far too quickly. Um, and um, whilst obviously there's a, the absolute right time to do that, if you go too early, you can slow yourself down. Um, you can stifle the creative process. So my first, um, my first um, tool to pick up is definitely the pencil, because um, and 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 the, and and the sketchbook. And in fact, carrying a notebook around is probably a really good habit to um, uh, to foster, uh, because you never know when inspiration comes. And uh, as in all creative processes, often. Um, it's less on demand and more ideas percolate and bubble away and come to you after um, initial uh, planting of seeds, if you like. So that's the first tool, for sure. Um, and uh, like I say, you can actually get some really lovely results, uh, uh, both in terms of colour and form um, and uh, use, user interface. You, just doing it in, three, in, in, sorry, in 2D uh, and then uh, move towards... Uh, 3D uh, later on. Now, industrial designers, um, you can also choose the wrong 3D tool. So uh, associative modelers like um, Creo or SolidWorks or Autodesk, they they can often be engineering uh, focused and uh, require too much too many parameters being tied down requires too much associativity in the model and so you might be better off uh, using a simpler surface modeling package like rhino is a good one alias Mm. is another one Uh, and you don't have to worry about models rebuilding because you're just basically hacking away at lumps of material to make it look right so so the flow is definitely um pencil and then into Illustrator, and then into a surface or a solid model. Um, and uh, of course, once you've modeled in 3D, you can then also create some uh, cool renderings, some cool simulations uh, using a using a rendering package as well. So, but the further you know, each step you take along that chain, the more time heavy uh, and the slower you're going to get. So, just a word of caution you know, choose the right tool for the right time. And don't be frightened of going back, actually going back a couple of steps and going back and sketching again. Um, Often many problems can be solved more efficiently in 2D than 3D, that's for sure. Mm, That's interesting. And I suppose when you've got a a new product idea and you're looking for, uh, let's say, a design house or an industrial designer like yourself to work with, this is the sort of advice they're going to be giving you, right? And so yeah. I, I think I think that willingness to take a step back, that's important because I, I suppose it's about focusing on the right tool at the right time and, and the strengths of those, you know, they differ, don't they? You mentioned when you've gone into 3D, I suppose you're not going to be able to go into, you know, an early prototyping stage before you've gone quite far down into the 3D drawing phase and everything well you know cardboard um paper um cardboard models press type paper they're, they're, they're pretty good 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, don't be frightened of going in and mocking stuff up in the in the workshop or, you know, knocking stuff together. Um, you know, you can you again very very quickly do enough to excite someone's um, thoughts on on a on a certain me- mechanism or a certain way. Um, something looks it's, it's very possible to do it with very low tech skills actually. Uh, and not needing to, but you're right. If you want to do a, a 3D print or something, then you need to be, uh, you need to have that, have made that investment up front in your data. Um, mm. But again, don't underestimate the power of simple. Yeah, that reminds me. I think it was, was it not Dyson who built basically a cardboard Hoover in his workshop? With it, I think it had the motor and everything, but the, but the uh, sort of mechanism and design of it was made of cardboard or something just to make sure that it worked. Yeah. Yeah, he notoriously made two thousand uh, prototypes before he actually had a working model, uh, working um, product. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of a good design process, but and it may just be legend as well. But um, yeah, just uh, <laughs> somewhere between one and <laughs> I don't know ten would probably be what you're shooting for. Okay. So as we uh, as we move on, uh, we, you've discussed you know the difference between going from 2d to 3d yeah next can we talk about finishes and and yeah. the finishing of products sure 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 yeah so um typically um you know industrial design um is broken down into or referred to as cmf that's uh, a c for color m for material f for finish so um you know we we've we, we perhaps looked at um we've looked at form but now, now we need to think about like those those three things um okay. the often often it is um considered as an afterthought which is often a mistake as well because if you think about the um without going into too much detail when you're designing you know you, you will be thinking about materials you'll be thinking about how they feel in the hand how whether they're hot whether they're cold smooth um, where you've got the functional parameters as well, such as strength or drop resist, uh, toughness or heat resistance, anything like that. Um, you would have you would have thought about materials inherently in, in the design process. So um, coming to um, finishes, well, that's going to be in, in some um, sense determined by the the um, the uh, base material um, that you're going to be finishing. That will drive it to some extent, but it's really good to, um, I would say as an industrial designer to have a really deep understanding of finishing and what's possible because through um, working within the limitations of a process will really allow you to get the best from it. And knowing the limitations of, of the process will allow you to A, propose only propose things that are actually achievable, be actually save a lot of time and, and frustration. Um, um, I, I share a little story. We um, have been uh, involved in um, a product recently uh, using an anodized finish. Now, anodizing of aluminium uses a dye process um, uh, to, to colour um, the, uh, the, the top coat of the aluminium. And the colours are almost infinite and what you can achieve. Um, and we swapped uh, processes and moved to an electroplating and assumed that that would be the same. Um, 
it's a different chemical process, but the colours in electroplating are vastly reduced due to the um, chemistry and, the, and physics, actually. Um, so we had to go and, uh, because, because we'd sold in um, a lovely range of colours and the customer really wanted them, we had to go and find another process, which is three times more expensive. Um, and um, it's actually vacuum electroplating uh, and is much more um, uh, niche and hard to uh, uh, to, to source. Hmm. So we learned, you know, that, that was probably, um, I could have, uh, if I'd known more information about the processes that I was, that I was discussing with a client, could have saved a lot of time and frustration um, on everyone's part, actually, um, and cost on the bit of materials as well. Um, so, so if you are an industrial designer and you, and, you know, it's some, make it your business to know, to, you know, if you can go and visit suppliers, go and find out what people can do, um, go and find out what the process is, is, um, is capable of. And you can do that on, on, from a desktop, of course, but going to suppliers and touching and feeling stuff is really important because you get, you know, you can really sense how the light bounces off the surface with different materials and different textures. Um, so yeah, roll your sleeves up and get practical. I would, I would say for sure. Is it the same with industrial designers as with manufacturers in that certain of you guys specialize in very specific types of products, for example, and therefore, you know, that knowledge is, is already sort of locked in. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. In fact, the best, the, I think the best industrial designers actually are those that have, that move around different sectors and bring mm. and cross-pollinate if you like those ideas the automotive industry is really really good um, for uh, what the supply chain going to automotive industry is really good so people working industrial designers working in the automotive industry are, are, are pre- exposed to the you know the, the, the sharpest of ends um, and so and so yeah um, you know what for even furniture design you know that that's interesting in, in some of the, the wood effects and um the finishes that are used there and ceramics um so yeah uh, beyond the sort of um uh, hub of of the core processes um I, I would say you're right different sectors have different strengths and so sort of um looking at all of them is, is also a really really healthy um a really healthy approach and also you know go, going to choosing a supplier that may be working in the automotive industry might be a really smart move if you're doing a consumer electronics product, mm. you might find you might find that their costs are high or their or their MOQs are high, but definitely worth going in because you can learn stuff and try and maybe even copy uh, a process that's not accessible to you because of its you know because the volumes are too high, the costs are too high. You might be able to get somewhere close uh, using a different alternative process that's lower cost and lower investment. Um, mm. And actually, on, on, on that point. One of the things I wanted to say is to is to sometimes as, as an industrial designer you 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 are creating you know you, you can't be too precious with your creations uh, and at a certain point commercial decisions are made so um, there's no shame in compromising and adjusting and flexing and pivoting according to what the supply what a supplier can achieve or um, uh, how, how easily how easily a, a certain finish that you're asking for uh, may or may not be um, achievable 
Um, often you, you, a, good, a really good starting place, actually, and I've worked like this before, is um, w- w- when, when a process, a manufacturing process has been tied down, is actually going to a electroplater or an anodizer um, or, um, and, and, ask, and actually seeing what they do. And the path of least resistance will often be using an existing process or an existing color. They'll love you for it because you're not you. You're going to cause them no headaches till they know this. They know they can they can do that color or that finish or that metal coating or whatever it is. They can do it. They know how to do it. You don't have to develop it easy, and they'll love you for that. You know when you go in with <laughs> a shopping list as long as your arm uh, and none none of which they've done before. You know you then start to kind of stress and strain the relationship uh, and test. You know how much they are prepared to do. Uh, to get your business so yeah oh in, in in summary don't be frightened of compromising or yeah albeit protecting the work that you've done and and, and your aspirations and that there, there is but there is often the time to be pragmatic with that and to work with the tools that are in front of you and available to you mm. so let's say that i'm ready to progress with the design and development of my new product and i'm trying to engage with an industrial designer what sort of information would you say i need to be providing yeah well you know it's, it's interesting many there are many different client types of clients out there that you know some someone may have a product idea and have a really really clear idea about what mm. what's going on inside a really really clear idea about function and no idea about form absolutely none and someone might go, well, we maybe want it to do this, but I really love this product. I love that. And that's what I want. So they might be more vis- visually biased in their, um, in their makeup and their character. Mm. So, um, and, and so you, you respond, as I said to you at, at the top of the podcast here, that, you know, your, your role as an industrial designer is to really flex around what the customer or the client wants. So if they want lead, creative lead, and they want you to then, then, then do that. If they want to, if they want to use you as a way of expressing the ideas that they have themselves, then do that. Um, because and, and maybe try and add some, add some more on top, mm. so that you add, add more value. Um, but when I talk to a client first up, I try and um, understand what the the the, um, the 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 landscape of what they've got in their mind. So. What do they know about the product? What do they think about the product? And what, what do they expect to see? Um, the, I always ask them um, if uh, they admire any brands or they have any other, you know, exist, pre-existing brands or products or objects or, you know, stuff that they like and that they like to see reflected in. Then, and often they won't, but they'll think and come back and then give you, um, give you some information which will help help you clarify so um yeah asking them you know if you could put your product under an umbrella of another brand that's out there already what would it be and why so that's a good question mm. um and also um is to, is, to, is to set the premises about how much exploration they want you know some some people might just go well I, you know, I just want to see what concept and um and, and and be satisfied but some some people will be more adventurous and go well i'd like to see something you know, maybe in this area here and something and have a, and, and, and end up with like sort of five, six, seven different concepts. Um, 
and, and want to see them. Um, but of course, you know, the more, the more stuff that's required, the longer it's going to take and, um, and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, really understand early doors, what is in the client's mind? And if you don't think what's in their mind is realistic, that's absolutely fine. And you can say, hey, in my experience, that kind of thing is you're going to want this. And, and then most people go, hey, OK, well, you're the expert. Yeah, that's fine. Mm. You know? So but, but start off, you know, start off coaxing it out. Um, but of course, you know, and, you know you, you're going to want to need to know roughly the selling cost. You're going to want to know roughly, um, I don't know, um, the, the core function. They may have some idea about build. They may not. Um, materials, they may not. Um, and the, I suppose, the factory in which they're going to make it. That, that, might be, that might be in the bag already and it might not. Uh, mm. And if that is in the bag, then it's great to reach out to your production engineers, your design engineers, to find out, you know, what their expertise and what, what, what they're likely to, to want to achieve. And then once you've got that information, again, I go back to it, you, you are a creative lead. You, you, predominantly your role is to be creative and to stretch and to explore so gather the information know know the know where you're starting from but then don't be frightened of pushing and going you know suggesting routes that maybe they didn't have in their mind yeah it's uh, it's just such an interesting topic I think being able to understand you know the different expectations and give that advice based on what you're hearing from them but in some cases they may have no real idea how the product needs to look sort of aesthetically just more the function of it It, it's just so broad and 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 so exciting right yeah it is it it, it definitely exciting is the word if you don't get excited about it then you shouldn't be doing it because you know it can can be you know it can be tough but but it could but very 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 rewarding yeah as is any um sort of exploration to the unknown and that's what you're doing you know you're i mean the whole whole product development is normally an exploration into the unknown uh, which is kind of can be often scary actually as well uh, if you don't know how you're going to achieve something or you know can be daunting and and as a as someone who doesn't do this every day you know i imagine it's actually bamboozling because you know where do you start is it chicken and egg you know how oh do, yeah how do you start you know how do you start so I guess, I guess to walk, you know, walking someone through that um, it is, um, is part of your skill. And, you know, mm. a, you, an industrial designer isn't just, a, yes, it, as with every, you know, every job, you, you, have to, you have to nurture relationships. You have to nurture relationships. You have to nurture trust. You have to nurture um, good communication. You have to be, you know, you, that, those are as, as important as your, well your hard skills you know your your um your technical and your creative ability yeah they, they need to be mixed with this kind of like um uh ability to lead and walk someone through and also be responsive and reactive to their requirements as they change because they will yeah and, and actually that reminds me in in former episodes that you've done with us you've mentioned this before the importance of relationship building and nurturing and I suppose especially when you're part of a big sort of team process as an industrial designer you know if if you've been brought on to kick off that exploration of of the product and to bend it into a shape where you know it's ready for 
prototyping, validation, and then production, you're sort of, you know, at the head of a long line of different teams that are going to be working yeah. on this thing, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You'll definitely straddle um, engineering, production, uh, quality, uh, marketing, sales. Uh, you, 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 you will be talking, yeah, everyone of those in those disciplines will be listening to what you say and have an opinion on what you say you know <laughs> uh not so much if you uh say for example working on quality or safety you know people tend to switch off a little bit but you know those guys will be um energized well the engineering guys and the production guys will be energized because they've got to make the thing um the marketing team are going to be energized because they've got they've got to you know it's got to be in line with their uh, brand values and and um and talk to the consumer in the way that they want their product to do. Um, and then, um, so, so everyone has an opinion, uh, which is it's a, a blessing and a curse, I suppose. Mm. Speaking about the different sort of departments, you know, engineering, marketing, all of the people that come together, oftentimes people are working with suppliers who are abroad, you know, let's say yeah. China, Vietnam, India, wherever. Sure. If if you're engaged on a project which is you know global, how is that interplay between you and these different suppliers? Let's take China as an example. What are the sort of common issues you found when trying to work with you know a client that might be in America, but you're in the UK, and then the supplier who's doing the production? Maybe they're doing prototyping and stuff as well. They're actually in China. What what's uh, what sort of tips or what sort of issues have you encountered that you can share? Yeah. Okay. So um, that's become very difficult in the last two years when we can't travel um, mm. like we used to be able to. Uh, because if you're fortunate fortunate enough to be able to go to uh, physically go to the supplier. Um, and have a you know have that meeting and seeing the process and there's just literally nothing beats that you 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 understand the limitations much better and you can see what they're doing and um can see the potential um limitations and the benefits of what they're doing so yeah it used to be that going you could not substitute there was no substitute for going so again that okay so that's not possible now not for now but it is about building relationships. And so um, whatever you can do to nurture that with the supplier, either that's through uh, directly or through a development house or um, some intermediate um, that, that offers you the introduction and can go to the factory visit with you, that's, that's everything that you can do to be a model uh, customer is... Is will pay dividends. So mm. this this means kind of doing as much work uh, before you go to the supplier um, as you can. Really try and tie down um, colours, um, and if you've got options, which you often will, or uncertainty, you know, going with twenty different colourways is just not going to be well received. Mm. So being as efficient as you can, n- knowing that people. colour will change, uh, finish will change, or regularly does change. Um, But just to be as kind of organised and as informed as you can will certainly 
help your case in the in in the in light of not being able to go there uh, and, and and not being able to do you know meet in the flesh and sure. to see you and um that's 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 my that's my um my own advice it's become tougher for sure yeah well you mentioned understanding the suppliers you know ca- yes. capabilities or, or or maybe capacity i mean in the context of covid when travel especially to china is difficult if a supplier has been audited you know like a technical audit or something would that yeah. be something that an industrial designer like yourself would would uh, benefit from seeing and understanding yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah yeah for sure so so yeah just seeing the process on video images and that sort of thing is great um often i finish um someone who's doing let's say electroplating will have um a swatch book which is a, a collection of of um standard finishes that they do now again you can't beat that yeah that that's another good little tip if you are engaging with a supplier is to try and get hold of um uh, a swatch book uh with little chips in that have um small squares of um finish for you to to see and again going back to it if you can pick off of that list they'll love you <laughs> oh yeah i can yeah. imagine yeah yeah and, and and be much more willing to 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 to, to sample uh, you know your parts or whatever whatever yeah that yeah that just makes their life easy so yeah okay that may not prove practical all the time because um maybe it's not close enough but Mm. but if it's close you really should consider that as an option for sure Mm, absolutely well i think i think we've covered a lot of ground today andy thank you again for coming on that's been a really fascinating look into i suppose we could say best practices and some of the tools used you know when when we're looking at industrial design of hardware products so yeah thanks again for joining me hey the pleasure pleasure to chat and uh hopefully not the last time it's not the first yeah. time but hopefully not the last time either <laughs> thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the sophie's group we're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in asia including inspections auditing new product development support contract manufacturing 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T.com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review, and share, because it will really help others discover us too.